Welcome to Talking Tax, a podcast brought to you by Bloomberg Tax. In this series, we sit down with leading tax practitioners who have contributed to the Bloomberg Tax journals, which cover a variety of topics of interest to attorneys, accountants, and other tax professionals. We really appreciate you being here and hope you enjoy today's discussion. Hello, this is Andrea Ben-Yosef doing another episode of Talking Tax, a Bloomberg Tax podcast. I am here with Professor Professor Charlene Luke, a University of Florida Research Foundation professor at the Levin College of Law. This podcast is based on her article, Crowdfunding, Federal Income Tax Considerations, which was published in the TM Memorandum in August. So let's just get started. Hello, Professor Luke, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me, Andrea. Yeah, thank you for being here. So let's, um, crowdfunding is a very interesting topic that people are very um, interested in. Um, Can you define crowdfunding? What are the different types? Sure. So crowdfunding, uh, like you can kind of tell from the name, is when you go to a large group of people, the crowd, and ask for money for various uh, needs or projects. Uh, It's often done through an online platform. Uh, There are roughly four main types. Uh, The boundaries can be a bit fuzzy between types, and these types don't line up with tax categories. The first uh, category is donation-based. With donation-based crowdfunding, uh, you transfer money to the project with no strings attached. There's no expectation that you'll get anything back. for donation-based, there are often two types, subtypes. Uh, we're very, uh, we've probably all seen the GoFundMe campaigns uh, that people use to solicit funds for personal needs, such as medical expenses. And uh, so that's one subtype is a project that's tied to personal needs. Another may be uh, tied to seeking a patron for a new project. It's still donation-based because they're not asking for anything back. Maybe they want to start a YouTube series, do some independent research, and essentially are seeking a patron. The second type is rewards-based. This is where there is some quid pro quo. You transfer money to the project with the expectation that there will be something coming back to you from the project. It could be a digital download uh, of an album, could be something more tangible. It's going to vary widely. So I'm going to be talking today mostly about those first two, but there are two other categories I'll briefly mention. There's equity-based crowdfunding. This is where you get back uh, not not just a, a reward, a specific reward. You actually take an interest in the project. So you would be allocated some type of future profit share. These are going to be governed by subchapter C, subchapter S, and subchapter K, depending on how it's set up. These are also going to involve more questions regarding securities law. Uh, Another type that's out there is debt-based. This is often referred to as crowd lending, where instead of going to the crowd for a transfer, you're going to them for uh, the crowd for a loan. And... uh, it raises its own set of issues, and as I said, I'm going to focus on the chip first two, donation-based and reward-based. Okay, thank you. So is there any IRS guidance specifically for crowdfunding? There's a little bit. In 2016, uh, 
an information letter came out. This is information letter 2016-0036. Uh, it doesn't address a specific example. It just contains general uh, statements. The bottom line is it says that it's going to depend on the facts and circumstances of the crowdfunding effort. The information letter it was addressed to a specific question about the timing so in crowdfunding, uh, the project creator often is looking for money in order to create something, and there's not going to be a match between the timing that the income comes in and the time of when the project is finished and something is transferred back to the contributors. So the question asked was whether the recipient has constructive receipt of the funds even before they have completed the project and with the possibility that if they don't finish the project, they'd have to return the item, the, the cash to the contributors. Uh, in the end, the information letter simply repeats fairly standard basic income tax principles. Uh, for example, it reiterates that uh, income includes all accessions to wealth. Uh, if it's a loan, if it's uh, equity exchange such as it, or a gift, Without a quid pro quo, then it would not be taxable, but otherwise it is included in income. Uh, the information letter also emphasized that a voluntary transfer without a quid pro quo is not necessarily a gift. Uh, and it further said crowdfunding revenues must generally be included in income to the extent they are received for services or gains from the sale of property. So it doesn't provide a lot of example-specific guidance. Actually, it, it provides no example-specific guidance. just reiterates the facts and circumstances question, basic principles of tax law apply. Uh, there has been something a little more recent. It's not guidance, but it suggests that guidance may be coming out. In the Treasury Priority Guidance Plan for 2017-2018, uh, it does say that a revenue ruling may be coming out under Section 102 regarding whether contributions of money received through a crowdfunding site to pay for medical expenses under Section 213 are excludable from income because the contributions are gifts. So we may be getting a little bit more guidance uh, in the form of, of a revenue ruling uh, sometime in the near future. Okay, great. So which current tax provisions, including those in the recently passed 2017 Tax Act, apply to crowdfunding? You say it depends on facts and circumstances, so what are the most common situations where they apply? Right. So it's going to be very fact-dependent. Uh, I can more easily specify some of the questions that are going to be most important. It's possible that a large swath of federal income tax law could be potentially relevant because crowdfunding is only limited by the creativity of the individuals who seek to use this platform. Uh, so one of the first questions you would want to ask in figuring out the tax consequences is how is the money going to be used? Is it going to be used for personal needs? Is it going to be for a hobby, an investment, or is the seed money for a new business? You'd also want to look at how it is structured. Is this a transfer with no strings attached? Is there some quid pro quo expectation? Is the quid pro quo 
small, like de minimis, or is it basically a transfer of commensurate value? You're, you're essentially purchasing something. Uh, and so it's going to depend uh, largely on those questions. So one of the first questions to consider is whether there's a gift, because gifts are excluded under Section 102. This will take you back to when you first started learning about the tax law and the detached and disinterested generosity standard. This is itself a facts and circumstances question. Is the transfer made out of affection, respect, admiration, charity, or like impulses, to quote the Supreme Court's language? Uh, when we're looking at whether something is a gift or not, uh, even though the standard says we're looking at the transferor's impulses, why the transferor is doing it, case law makes clear that context will matter. So if it looks like the campaign is primarily for medical necessities, it's some kind of spontaneous public support, there's no quid pro quo, it seems likely it will be treated as a gift. On the other hand, if there's a large quid pro quo or it's something outside of basic needs, something that looks more like a hobby, then it's quite possible it is not a gift and will be treated as income, even though there's no quid pro quo. Once you've decided that you have a gift, there are ancillary issues that may come up. So if you have received money to help you pay for medical expenses or to help you cope with the aftermath of a casualty event, you are going to need to figure out how the Section 102 exclusion intersects with medical expense deductions and casualty loss deductions. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, we are looking forward to some potential guidance from the Treasury regarding 213 crowdfunding and how Section 102 intersects with that. Uh, As a reminder, though, Section 213 at the outset says you cannot claim the deduction for anything that uh, for which you've already received compensation. So it is for expenses not compensated for by insurance or otherwise. So if you have solicited funds for a medical condition, you would not be able to take both the deduction and the exclusion. And, and that's a common theme throughout the tax code. I will mention that under the 2017 legislation, the normal 10% floor has been decreased to a 7.5% floor of adjusted gross income for 2017 and 2018. With respect to casualty losses, there's a similar issue. You can only deduct casualty losses to the extent of casualty gains. The additional 10% of adjusted gross income has been suspended for 2018 through 2025 unless There is a federally declared disaster, in which case some special rules come in, but I won't detail. If you receive income and you claim it as a gift, as excluded, uh, it will not double count as personal casualty gain. So if you have other casualty laws, you won't be able to both deduct that against your excluded gift and uh, get the exclusion. You simply can't get a double tax benefit. Another issue that can come up with gifts, in some cases, if you have a very successful campaign, you may get a 1099-K, which is a form 
relating to payment card and third-party network transactions. Uh, this can raise issues for the taxpayer. It's still a gift. It's not taxable, but it could cause an inquiry from the IRS, and you would need to show that it was, in fact, a gift. Um, so if it's not a gift, the next stage would be to determine whether you have a hobby, a for-profit activity, or a business activity. Under current law enacted uh, in 2017, miscellaneous itemized deductions are suspended. So from January 1st, 2018 through December 31st, 2025, individuals are not able to claim miscellaneous itemized deductions. Hobby losses and most Section 212 investment losses are miscellaneous itemized deductions. So this is going to render uh, unnecessary the work in distinguishing hobby from for-profit because the deduction simply won't be available. Uh, even if you have a hobby or for-profit, uh, if you are transferring uh, goods, then you would still have an amount realized on any quid pro quo. You would be able to reduce any gain by your basis in the item that you are selling, effectively selling through your crowdfunding project. Uh, the big uh, item now would be, is, is it going to rise to the level of a trade or business? If it is a trade or business, if you are crowdfunding for your trade or business, an existing trade or business, or you are creating a new trade or business, this is going to avoid the miscellaneous itemized deduction limitation. And as a result, uh, it is going to allow for multiple other kinds of deductions, including potentially the new Section 199 Cap A deduction, which applies to certain qualified businesses. This, of course, raises the big question, is there a trade or business? And this is another facts and circumstances question. The Supreme Court has said that we are going to look at the continuity and regularity um, in, of the taxpayer's involvement. We're going to look at the primary purpose for engaging in the activity. If it's sporadic, if it's just a hobby or an amusement diversion, it's not going to be a trade or business. And so this is going to necessitate a line of inquiry. Do I have a trade or business or not? And things that look like an amusement now we know can make quite a bit of money. We have Instagram accounts, YouTube videos, where people are able to earn significant amounts of money through followers, through getting uh, sponsors. And so this dividing line is going to become very critical, particularly now that hobby and for-profit activities, you're not able to take deductions because those, are, again, are mostly miscellaneous itemized deductions. So a couple of the deductions that you're able to take if it's a business, uh, you would, of course, be able to take all your ordinary and necessary expenses. Um, I would highlight that bonus depreciation and Section 179 expensing were expanded in the 2017 legislation. One thing that may be of particular importance in crowdfunding is bonus depreciation is now available for tangible property that is used property, uh, so long as you acquire it by purchase. So it used to be that you could only get bonus depreciation for new property. So if you buy some used equipment 
for your YouTube business uh, with the crowdsourced money, you'll be able to use this bonus depreciation potentially. Uh, 199-CAP-A allows a maximum of 20% deduction of your net qualifying business income. This provision, like many of the other provisions, is in place through 2025. Uh, This is a deduction that it's not an itemized deduction, but it's also not going to change adjusted gross income. It is an adjustment that goes into taxable income. Presumably, it's going to go on page two when we get the 2018 1040s. This is a very complex provision. I'm just going to highlight a couple of points uh, that may be most relevant to a crowdfunding type project. First is you have to have a qualified trade or business. And this means trade or businesses other than specified service trade or businesses or trades uh, or business of performing services as an employee. A specified service trade or business does include things like performing arts, uh, health, consulting. Uh, it, it includes any trade or business where the principal asset of such trade or business is the reputation or skill of one or more of its owners or employees. So many crowdfunded projects would seem to be ineligible for 199 Cap A because of this limitation. But there is an income threshold. This limitation does not apply for individuals who are below certain income thresholds. This is uh, $315,000 for joint filers and $157,500 for others. So if you have a day job where you are earning uh, below the threshold and then you crowdfund, you may be able to take advantage of this and avoid uh, the limitation, even if you're doing something that is an artistic performance, consulting, or anything else on that list. Uh, There is a phase-out. It begins at $315,000 for joint filers. The phase-out operates over a range of $100,000 for joint filers and $50,000 for others. Uh, It's a fairly simple phase-out. If you're halfway through the range, you only get half of the items from the business. Uh, And that is used for all purposes of doing the 199 Cap A computation, including the W-2 wage limitation, which I'll talk about next. So this is quite generous. If you think about someone who may be having a job, you know, they're a nurse, a professor, and they decide, I want to do a second business, start a new uh, a new trade, uh, they're going to probably be under those income thresholds and potentially could take advantage of 199 Cap A. The W-2 limitation is the second limitation, and what this does is it reduces the percent deduction. So it's a maximum of 20%, but it can be reduced. So the statute, again, it's a little bit complex. It's the lesser of... of your qualified business or the greater of your 50% of the W-2 wages, and then there's another provision relating to unadjusted basis of qualified property, um, which is less likely to apply in a crowdfunding kind of situation. This limitation reduction tied to W-2 wages is also lifted below those same income thresholds. So, 
those income thresholds are going to allow taxpayers to avoid both the qualified business limitation, as long as it's not the business of being an employee, and also avoid the W-2 wage limitation. So it will be interesting to see what happens there if a lot of these crowdfunding projects take advantage of 199 Cap A. All right. Well, thank you. That is a lot of great information. So my final question is, how do you see this area developing, and what do you think would be the most useful from the IRS going forward? So crowdfunding affects many individuals. I suspect many of the listeners have had the experience of getting a GoFundMe request from a friend or family member. Many of us may have also thought about trying uh, to enter into this economy, having uh, a new business, a creativity uh, business, a YouTube series, and uh, earn money. So this is attractive to people from all walks of life. A lot of these people are not going to have access to a tax professional. They are going to be trying to figure out what to do with this money based on a simple web search, perhaps, maybe uh, uh, using some kind of tax preparation software. So I think what would be really helpful is just a basic frequently asked questions web page or, or revenue ruling that's tailored to crowdfunding. Now, the tax principles are general tax principles, but they're scattered across multiple publications and they're not all in one place. So I think just gathering together information in a frequently asked question, such as they did for Bitcoin or uh, other digital currencies, would be helpful. So some of the questions to ask would, would be to include examples uh, be, uh, about the difference between a gift and a hobby, uh, perhaps to answer even questions about what to do if you have a gift but you still get a 1099K, things that are targeted to what individuals may experience. Uh, perhaps going further, the IRS and Treasury could think about whether it makes sense to provide some relief on the, the timing issues that affect crowdfunding. So is it possible to allow some kind of deferral of advance payments on some de minimis amount uh, when it's clear that this is going to result in a project being transferred back from the project creator to the contributor, uh, these advanced timing, uh, advanced payment issues cause difficulties to these small uh, crowdfunded projects. All right. Well, hopefully we will see IRS and Treasury working on that in the near future. Thank you, Professor Luke, for all of this information. This was very helpful to our listeners. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloomberg Tax and subscribe to Talking Tax on iTunes or SoundCloud. Tune in next time for more discussions on today's hot tax issues with leading practitioners.